This is the Learning Curve Podcast, and I'm Pastor Scott Rambo. Welcome to the classroom. Let's dive into the Word of God and see what He has to say to us today. All right, if y'all want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to James chapter 1, that's where we'll start at. We'll be going to Genesis. We'll be going to a couple different places. Tonight's question was uh, given to us a couple weeks ago uh, with my call week and everything else. We're back uh, We're back to answering questions. So why does God test us? The question that was actually posed was, since God knows everything, why does he test us, right? We understand God's sovereignty, and he knows already before we go through anything, he already knows the outcome. So what what is the meaning of the test, right? The Bible has uh, quite a bit to say about it. We're going to just scratch the surface today. And I've got three different points or three different reasons why uh, why we as humans get tested. Okay? So we'll go ahead and we'll uh, pray. And then we'll get started. Amen? Lord, we thank you again for another night, Lord, to gather in your name and to open up the word oh god and to learn of you lord i ask that you lord give us or what we need as we study this question or why why is the test of life or why why do we go through these trials and these tests lord help us to understand the answer lord and to apply it to our life so that when we find ourselves in these situations lord we can have the right mindset about it we can know why we're going through this, Lord, and that makes it somewhat easier to bear. Lord, I thank you for this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So starting off first, I've got a few quotes. Uh, I love to read other people's thoughts and comments on the word. Not all are great, but they are a lot of uh, a lot of Christian people out there who are a lot smarter than me, and they've said a lot about things. So, if you want, if you're taking notes, uh, GraceQuotes.com. That is a great resource. It really is. That think of anything about the Bible, a topic about the Bible, like being tested or the crucifixion or Jesus or or anything. You put it in the search bar. And it pulls up pages of of good, like biblical quotes of of people who aren't out on the fringes of of ideas and things that are that are biblical, uh, but they're they're great. It really is. It's a good quote, a good quote site. It pulls everything in. So y'all have Riken. I have two more short ones, and we'll get started. Uh, David Garland. Hey, how are y'all? Pages over here. David Garland said this When God tests us, discipline and purification are usually the object, not punishment and destruction. Okay? So, first and foremost, God's testing or the trials of life is different from temptation. Okay? We know that the Word of God tells us God does not tempt us, right? He does not place sin in front of us to see what we're going to do, right? That's Satan's job. 
and our job. We, we do a good job at that at, our, at ourselves, right? I'm only tempted with the things that I'm not willing to give up just yet. So God's testing and the trials that we face are different from sinful temptation, okay? C.S. Lewis said this, Of course, one must take sent to try us the right way. God has not been trying an experiment on our faith or love in order to find out their quality. He knew it already. It was I who didn't. Okay? We're going to be, we'll be in James chapter 1. And then the quote that y'all have, uh, Philip Graham Ryken said, Every temptation is a kind of test, but not every test is a temptation. Okay? Test and temptations have different purposes, and they come from different places. Tests are designed to show what someone can do. Their purpose is positive, which explains why God himself tests people as he tested Abraham, right? When then Hebrews eleven seventeen, that's that's what that text says. A test is a trial posed by God to prove the strength of our faith. Okay? So According to Riken, why does God test us? To prove our faith. Now, he's not trying to prove our faith to him. He knows our faith. The test and trials in life is to prove the, our faith to us. Like, who do we truly believe in, right? Where is our strength really at? Because God already knows, right? He's sovereign. He knows. He is trying to get us to understand where you are spiritually. If that's in a weakened state, there's, there's the test, right? If you are uh, in a even, uh, uh, strengthened spiritually but have somewhat deceived yourself into thinking you're less than that, right? Here comes a test, and it proves, hey, I do have great faith, right? It's a positive thing. It can be. <clears throat> Temptations, on the other hand, are more negative. They're Explicit perfect, uh, purpose is to entice people to sin. That's what a temptation is, right? Which is why they come from the evil one. A temptation is a trial posed by Satan with a wicked hope that we will fail. So the difference between a test and a temptation. The test is to prove something positive about you spiritually. A temptation is Satan's trying to prove wickedness in you, Okay. So point one, and we'll read in James, God tests believers. So why does God test us? God tests his believers to refine their faith and sanctify them. When we talk about being gloriously saved, right? For those who he has called, he is justified. For those who he's justified, he's sanctified. When we're talking about the sanctification process, these are the tests and trials of life. This is how we are sanctified. It would be super awesome, really cool, if I could just go to sleep and wake up more sanctified, right? And I just make it through that day, and I go to sleep, and I wake up more sanctified until one day I'm just glorified, right? But there is, there is no growth unless there's a test or a trial. Think about what a test actually is. Like, not spiritually, just, just those of you who are in school. Brother Matt's a teacher. Why do you test your kids? Right? To prove what they know. Right? So that's, that's this. Now, apply that spiritually. God already knows what we know. 
But unless we're tested, we never know. It's your response to it, right? And even if I fail the test, this is where we kind of start to split from Brother Matt's testing, because if a student fails a test, it's a bad thing, right? That means they either didn't listen, they didn't know, some Brother Matt didn't teach right, right? There's, there's a bunch of different reasons why a student could fail a test. For us spiritually, even in my failure, it works to my good because I realize, hey, I'm not as strong as I thought I was, right? I truly see myself. I see, oh, whoa, this sin in my life really does have a hold on me, and I, and I repent, right? And it ends up being a positive thing. Romans 8, it works to my good, even in the failure. It's pretty neat. So James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It's our proof text for this. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it is through the testing that we are made perfect, right? For us who are here Sunday, we talked about being perfectly imperfect. I'm not perfect yet. I will be made perfect, but I am being perfected, like perfected, right, through sanctification. So this, this this is the same thing we were talking about in Philippians, where Paul said, hey, it may look like I have it all together, but I really don't. Right. I'm not yet. I have not yet attained it. I'm still I'm still pushing towards something. Right. What is your prize? Well, whenever we're going through tests and trial, if we lose track of what the true prize is, we end up failing the test or the trial. Right. If my prize is Christ, even in the midst of my struggle, I'm going to endure to the end. Right. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to press on. And even in my weakness, God's promise is the same as promise he gave to Paul. Is like, when you're weak, guess what? I'm still strong. So even in that failure, we're, we're perfected even more. So according to this, per, uh, this passage, what is the purpose, uh, purpose of testing? Lord, I need to learn how to talk. To prove us, right? Same thing as a, as a physical test, uh, you know, before I before I got hired on at Procter and Gamble, uh, I was tested. I took a I took an actual handwritten fill in the blank test, and and they tested me mentally. And when I passed that, then come the physical test. I had to go to town. I had to pick up a crate. I had to walk so many. I had to show them that I could swing a sledgehammer. Right. I was physically tested because it that job required both a mental aptitude and a physical aptitude, right? So they tested their people before they offered the job. Same thing in our spiritual walk. We've been offered the job. Like he, we've been chosen. We've been given gifts. We've been, here's, here's your job, right? And the Bible says, even though if we don't truly understand it right at first, if he's called you to preach, like in my instance, he's given me the, the skills to do that. And it's through the testing and the trials leading up to that that I understand, hey, I do have what I need, right? And that test could be something as simple as whenever I was first being called to preach, you know, somebody over me 
like my uncle Aubrey or, or my dad or whoever it was hits you over the shoulder and go, Hey, you're going to preach, right? Guess what? That was a test. That was a test for me. And it proved whether that message went good or went bad because they didn't all go good. <laughs> I wish I could say they did, but they didn't. It proved that one, God was with me, right? Two, he better stay with me and I better stay with him because I, I fall flat on my face whenever I try and do this without him, right? Mm-hmm. It's the prove, it's the test that proves things to us, right? That's, that's what I'm getting at. We're never proving anything to God. He knows everything. That's what he told Job. How, how are you supposed to counsel me, right? What, what can you tell me that I don't already know? But here's the thing. At the end of Job, and we'll see, we could have went everywhere. At the beginning, Job had no idea he could do all those things and endure all that. By the end of it, especially after God spoke, and we'll read it, he, he said some pretty specific things. He said, I, I, I knew of him. I had heard of God by ear, but now I've seen, right? He, he was proven. He knew some things. So the first thing, the first reason God tests us is to refine our faith, okay? Zechariah 13, if y'all want to turn there. God allows tests and trials in the lives of believers in order to refine and strengthen their faith. Zechariah 13, verses 8 and 9. And this is God speaking. This is Zechariah's prophet speaking. Thus saith the Lord. Said it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name. That's so. What's the first thing that happens when we go through tests and trials? Well, as a true believer, we call on the name of the Lord, right? That's what Zechariah is saying here. That's what, actually what God is, is telling them. Two-thirds of you are not going to do this. You're going to be cut off, right? Not all Israel is Israel. We get into Romans. But for those of you who are truly Israel, I'm, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tried, and you're going to come out purer, right? Same as silver, same as gold. I love the analogy of ore, dirty gold, going into a refiner's fire, and it's heated up, and everything melts. And that which isn't pure gold comes to the top, the dross, right? And it's raked off. And then it's heated up again, and even more dross comes, and it's raked off, and it's raked off, and it's raked off until you can get gold as pure enough. It looks like a mirror when you look into it. You see the, the refiner's face, right? And that's the analogy. Is that's what sanctification is. The more pure we get, the image of Christ is reflected off of us, right? But the thing that always got me is everything goes into the pot at one time. The impurities, all of that is there, but what is also there is the pure gold. It all goes in at one time. 
and there has to come a refining fire. There has to come a test and trial in life, and there's a raking, right, and there's things that are removed. But pure gold is never added to the pot, right? Everything is there. The bad is removed. What's left is the good. It's through the test and trials of life, and that's what Zachariah is saying here. He's not going to leave us alone. That's Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. When you read into that, what was, how did God hate Esau? He just left him alone. That's, that's what the Bible says. He wrestled with Jacob, and he left Esau alone. So he, lo he loves us enough to not leave us alone because we're dirty, right? He, he continues to mess with us. Even when it hurts, even when I don't understand, God says, just trust in me. It's going to be okay. This Here comes another raking. Here comes another uh, uh, scraping of the, of the dross. But I'm trying to reveal my son in you, right? Praise, in other words, praise God in the suffering. Is that not what our word tells us? Glory in the suffering. Glory in the trials. With thanksgiving, thank God for the test. It's hard to do, I understand. But that when we understand why we're thanking God, we're not, we're not like, yes, sir, please, another, right? You know, go ahead and hit me on this side of the face, too. That's not what we're thanking God for. We're thanking God that he is drawing something out of us, right? <clears throat> cool. And, uh, well, let's finish our text, our text. They will call on the name of the Lord, finish in verse 9, and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. So that is on to perfection, right? We can't truly say God is our God if we're not willing to go through the fire with him. That's what Zechariah is saying. Just as gold is purified through the fire, so too are believers refined through the trials and hardships of life. That's why sometimes it's, it's very, <clears throat> it's easy for us to lose track of the prize and start looking around to people in the world who we know aren't living right, right, and going, man, their life is a lot easier. You know, they, they, they don't have it like I have it. You know, it just seems like things just fall into place for them. And, but, but Lord, I, I know they're not living right. You know, they're outright heathens. They, they may even be proclaiming atheists. You know, I'm talking like what we would consider the, spiritually the worst of the worst seems like they're, they're blessed beyond measure here but they're really not blessed according to the word. God is not dealing with them. He's dealing with us. That causes suffering on our part at times, blessing at others. But what is truth? What is truly better? I want God to deal with me here because the word, if you keep going to revelations, the atheists and those who are blessed beyond measure here will be dealt with by God in the judgment, right? It's better to have the draw scraped off here. It's better to lose things here, right? Like Christ said, for those who lose their life, they gain it, right? That's that's what we're talking about. It's it's that process of sanctification. Well, Scott, going back to what you said about, you know, when it's all put in the pot, the gold is already in there too. But it, it's like, we have to have that measure of faith to start with to be refined. Yeah, oh, yes, you see, yes that, sir. That's where, you know, like, 
God don't just take a person from way over yonder, you know, like you talking about, the yes, worst sir. of the worst, and they start being refined. You mm-hmm. know, have to come to that place and have a little faith, and then yes, sir. for the refining, you know, for the sanctification. No, you're exactly right, but that's, I mean, you can't you can't be sanctified if you're not saved, exactly. right? That's so that's so we are. The saved part, like the gold is in with us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's just it. When when you were saved, that's you went into the pot, right? right? What when did sanctification start? Uh, well, at justification, right? But everything went into the pot. All of my desires, all of my worldly ambitions, everything went into that pot, and God began to deal with us then, right? Right. And, and salvation has come. You've gained eternal life. Great, but you ain't going. Like you're gonna get cleaned up, right? Think of the the uh, the example of the person invited to the wedding. We're in a few weeks. We're going to have a wedding. I guarantee every single person who goes to that wedding is probably going to take a bath before. Right? You're gonna you're gonna do something with your hair. You would hope so. Do something with your hair. We're, like tomorrow or the next day, I'm going to go to town and I'm going to pay for a, for somebody else's suit. Right? Like I'm a, I'm gonna rent a suit and we're gonna. I'm going to make myself presentable. It's the same thing that happens. It's this refiner's fire that you, you're going you're gonna to be washed before you're presented before the Lord. Right? You're, gonna, you're not going the way you are now. Thank God. The process of refinement and sanctification is intended to make us more holy, more Christ-like. And that is the end of that analogy as the purified gold becomes less and less full of dross, you see the face of the one refining. And that face is Christ, right? So then we have the story of Job. Uh, it's a classic example of someone being tested. Thank God we don't go through the test of Job, right? I have yet to be tested like Job was tested. I, I don't know anybody who's ever been tested like Job was tested. I would I pray that Job is the only one who was ever tested like Job was tested to lose absolutely everything just to prove a point to Satan. Right? That's that's literally literally what it was. It was to prove that God is sovereign over Satan. Satan can do whatever he wants to a believer, right? If God allows it, but he has absolutely no control over the outcome. At the end of Job, he's given everything back plus Right? Satan didn't do anything. And it just proved to Job that he could do it. Absolutely. And all of those mockers and scoffers and those <laughs> that told him, curse God and die mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing, it proved to him that a man, a human, can endure. Absolutely. With the hand of God. <clears throat> it does. All of this is to to disprove the world's notion of, of God's, God's just picking on his people, right? That is not what's happening here. Uh, it's also to disprove that God doesn't know what you're going to do, so he has to put you through these tests and trials to see what you're going to do, right? He didn't line up all the blocks and everything, heat up the furnace seven times, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego go into the furnace, and God's sitting there going like, huh, okay, what are they going to do? Now, he knew, right? Not only did he know, he was, he was there with them. Right, he he's, he made a pagan king see a fourth man 
in the likeness of the Son of God, that's a that's prophecy. Like well, he don't know what God looks like, but he knows he only threw three of them in, and now there's a fourth one, and they walking around. They're not flailing. It's got to be something. You keep reading after a seven year stay into the fields, uh, he comes back, and that's not just their God. That's his God, right? Nebuchadnezzar, I, I believe we're going to worship around the throne with Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that crazy? So despite losing his family, we're back on Job, his possessions, his health. I mean, every part of Job was, was afflicted, right? Job remained faithful to God and even grew in his understanding. So in the test, right, he remained faithful. We know he cursed everything from his mama's womb to the day he was born, to, but he never, he never turned it on God. Like he, he loses everything, and out of his mouth goes, "Lord, you're great. Naked I've come into this world. Naked I'm going to go out." Right? He never put blame on God. But Job was different at the end of the trial. He grew in understanding. He grew in faith. Right? And Job 42, 1 through 6, it's, it reads this. This is after Job has lamented to everybody that he knows. He's lamented to God. He's basically saying, God, I don't know why this is happening. I really don't know. I wish you would just take me. I don't understand why this is happening. Then God speaks for two full chapters. When God starts speaking to Job, he doesn't quit till he's done. And then there's six verses. Job responds to God. Six verses. And this is what he says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, God just spoke to him for like 20 straight minutes. Right? If you read through the chat, it's, it's a lot. I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, what's going to be, it's going to be. Your will be done. Right? Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Now, he's got some, some more understanding, right? He's repenting right now for what he just said to God. Therefore, I declare that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. Now, this sounds, it sounds like he's being kind of prideful, but he, this, is, this is from a humbleness of heart right here. He is asking God, if you will allow me to speak, I, I got something I want to say, okay? So all of that was repenting, right? All of that was repenting. Now he's, he's repentant, and now he's asking God, God, can I, can I say something? Can I say something now, right? Here now, and I will speak, I will ask you. It's not telling, he's asking. And you instruct me. See, this is humble. This is humbleness. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. So Job goes through this crazy test, this crazy trial. Now remember at the beginning, right? God calls all the sons of God to him. Satan's included in that. That's crazy, too. And uh, he says, oh, hey, Lucifer, Satan, 
Beelzebub, the evil one. Have you seen my servant Job? <laughs> and Satan said, yeah. Yeah, I've seen Job. I can't touch Job. You've blessed Job. There's a hedge around Job. But he said, if you lower that hedge, I'll get him to curse you. And God said, okay, go ahead. Just don't kill him. Right? First, he said, don't touch Job. And he goes and he, the whirlwinds and the armies and, and his livestock is taken. All Everything is taken. Then Satan goes back and when it fails, <laughs> he says, well, it's because you haven't let me touch Job. Right? So God says, okay, I'll let you get a little closer. You can touch him. You can do anything you want to him, but you're not going to kill him. But at the very beginning, like we want to get into the story of, of Satan buffeting Job. We miss what God said. Satan said, if you lower the hedge, he will curse you. And with God's allowance of the test, he's saying, no, he's not. He already knew what Job was going to do. But now Job knows. Not only that, he has grew in knowledge of who God is. Right? Because that's what he says. I, I heard of you. I kn in other words, I knew you were God. I knew I needed to serve you. Right? But now I've seen it. I, I've seen that Nothing will ever deter Job from not serving God after that test. What, what could it be? Right? My brother used to throw that in my face all the time. It's a wild story, but he fell and broke his neck. He was dead for a while. God miraculously brought him back. His, his neck, you're supposed to have a curve in your neck. His neck is straight, kind of like Paul and his thorn in his flesh. And it's, it, it's neat. It's pretty neat. He needs to tell his testimony one day. But <clears throat> he would always throw that in my face. You know, whenever we were going to fight or play around or whatever, he's like, what can you do to me? I already died. You know, you can't do anything to me. I've already died once. And, <laughs> you know, it's funny now, but what do you say to that? Now, let's make that spiritual. You go through a test and a trial. You learn something of God. What can Satan do to you? He's already tried to do something, right? God's already allowed this test and this trial in your life, and you've come through it, and you've learned that God is with you. God is on your side, and you, your faith is in him. And What can Satan do to us? Well, the Word says nothing. Absolutely nothing. God is sovereign over our life, and it's... It's a glorious thing. Job seen that. That's what he said. He said, I've heard of you, but now I know you. Right? Same thing with us, especially if any of us who grew up, grew up in church, you know, I knew of God. I, I, I heard of him. I knew who he was. I knew he was the only one. But it wasn't until saint, uh, salvation that I knew him. Right? That I knew him. <clears throat> we face trials and difficulties in our own lives we trust that god is using them to refine us and to sanctify us okay instead of becoming bitter or resentful as some sometimes we can we can resent some things that are happening to us um we can ask god to help us grow in our faith and to reveal any areas of sin or weakness that we need to address. That's something we need to understand here. The test and trial isn't here because you're sinful. Okay? God isn't punishing you. Here's my believer. 
he or she is a sinful person, so now I'm going to throw a test or a trial on them. That's not, God is not punishing us. He is not holding sin over us. What does the Bible say? It's been thrown as far as the east is from the west. He's actually forgotten about our sin. We remember he chooses to forget. God, who can't forget anything, chooses to forget your sin. And so it's not as if he is going, okay, well, they've had enough fun, so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it at them. You're right. I'm going to beat them over the head. That's not what this is for. The trial is to show you that there's still some areas of weakness, right, and to give it to him. And then you go through the repenting process. Same thing as Job. Before God spoke to Job, Job was praying to God, asking him, I don't understand. I don't know why this is good. Can, you need, something's got to give. You need to tell me why this is happening, right? And then God speaks. Same thing happens for us. We don't hear an audible voice, but that spirit within us goes, that's what we've been waiting on. Now you're going to actually ask. You're going to yield. You're going to ask us for help. Okay, here it is, right? This is, this is the trial. This is the test. This is the thing that we're trying to get rid of. And you go, oh, yeah, okay. You mean that thing that I've been holding on to? Okay, cool. And, and then you repent of that, and it's like the test is over. The trial is over, right? So let's look at Abraham now, Genesis 22. Job and Abraham, probably the two, two biggest examples in the Bible as far as God testing God proving them. Genesis 22. It's 14 verses. We'll read it. <clears throat> Starting in verse 1. It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men <clears throat> with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. And we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac wasn't no dummy. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord 
called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. So that we know the test of Abraham, right? Abraham was promised this son. Uh, he fails to wait. Here comes Ishmael. Uh, God doesn't accept Ishmael. He says, no, it's still going to be. It's still going to be the way I said it was going to be. Here comes Isaac, Ishmael, and Hagar is sent off into the wilderness. And life is good until it isn't, until God comes one day and he says, Hey, Abraham, I need you to go make a sacrifice. And you're going to sacrifice that son that I gave you. But notice how Abraham answered the Lord. He said, Here I am, right? God had already proven himself to Abraham. Now it was time for Abraham to prove himself to God. But God already knew what Abraham was going to do. So Abraham has really proven to himself that he is who he professes to be. Same thing that happens in our life. You profess to be a Christian. When the trial and the test come, do you remain Christian-like? That's what the test and the trial is there for, is to prove... Prove to ourselves who we really are. Are we a true believer? Will you endure? Will you call out to God and help? Or will you try and figure it out yourself and fail? Right? So Abraham. Because that's what I've done. Yes, <laughs> a lot of times. I couldn't do anything about it. I said, you show me how to live with it or take it away. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> a lot of times we fail the test before we pass the test, right? <laughs> I really liked those tests uh, at Procter & Gamble. We had we was tested just about every month on different things, safety, quality, all, all this stuff. But there was really no way to fail the test because if you failed it, it would tell you which ones you failed, and then you just took the test over again, right? But that actually does apply to the way God tests us too because I, I have failed that same test several times. And then every time I fail, I see where I mess up. I see where I fall. I see where I do. And then here comes that test again, and I pass it because I'm like, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three, four, five, six times. Sometimes, you know, it's it's not a three-strike rule. We, we are hard-headed a lot of times. But Abraham here said in uh, Hebrews, we go to Hebrews, Chapter 11, it said of Abraham, he trusted God, right? And what he trusted God was even if he went through with the test, even if he killed his son and burnt him on that altar, God would raise him up again. That's, that's pretty powerful. Again, like Job, I pray God never tests me like Abraham because I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I would handle that, but he's also have he hasn't raised me up like Abraham either, right? 
Abraham wasn't just out of the blue called to sacrifice Isaac without years of preparation and time with the Lord and proving of who God is, right? Then come the test and Abraham said, you like you haven't even let me keep my first son as the promise and then you give me this son. It's your promise. If you're asking me to do this thing, it's you've done said it's going to be through this Isaac. So things aren't adding up, you know. If he's if he's offered on the altar, you're going to have to raise him up again if it's going to be through Isaac, right? He trusted God. We have to do the same thing. We have to trust God no matter what we're looking at, right? That, again, hard to do, right? Hard to do. So why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Well, several different reasons, right? It's a foreshadowing, a straight foreshadowing for what's going to happen to Christ, even to the point of just go back and reread it and think of what happened to Christ, okay? Well, he's, he's the only begotten son and whom he well loved, right? Same thing with Abraham and Isaac. Uh, Isaac is made to carry his own bundle of wood. Christ carries his own cross. Isaac is placed upon the altar. He is the sacrifice, right? The difference is Abraham doesn't sacrifice his son. His son is spared. Christ wasn't spared. God loved us so much that he didn't spare his own son. He is the sacrifice, right? It is, it's a direct correlation, even to the point to where Mount Moriah is the temple mount, like where the Solomon's temple is built. It's the same place that Christ is crucified. Christ is crucified on the Roman road through Mount Moriah. Pretty neat. It's pretty neat. So that's one reason why Abraham is called to do that, because it's a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do. But also, it's to prove to Abraham once and for all that he believes God for the covenant, right? Because if you keep reading in verse 15 and 16, God goes on to say, because you've done this thing now, and he repeats the covenant that he's already told him, but he says, now it is going to be through Isaac. This is actually going to happen. Like, it's going to go through with this. So sometimes we don't understand the test. Sometimes we don't understand the trial. And we don't even understand why the meaning behind it all. It is a bigger purpose, right? What you're going through right now could be the hardest thing you've ever had to go through. But it is a bigger purpose. If nothing else stripping you from that weakness to further glorify you later in life, right? It, there's a bigger purpose to this. So we face tests, we face trials in our own lives, and we can view them as opportunities to demonstrate our faithfulness and trust in God. We can ask God to help us remain faithful even in the most difficult circumstances and to reveal any areas of disobedience or unbelief that need to be addressed. So there's always there's always a cycle. There's a test. There's a trial. There there's obviously some repentance that comes through there. Not because you've done anything wrong to to have this test or trial put on you, but it reveals weakness in us. Right? It reveals weakness. That is what the Bible says that we're sanctified from glory to glory, like from faith to faith. So that, that's what this is talking about. 
And then our last point, if you want to turn to John chapter 9, another familiar place. As believers, what is what is our chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever? Sometimes the trial you're going through is to prove God to somebody else. We are used in the sovereignty of God to show glory on Him. Sometimes your test that you're going through, your trial that you're going through, although everything still applies, there's still personal growth that comes out of every trial, that comes out of every test. But that's, this is that higher reasoning. Why am I going through this? Sometimes you're literally being put through hell on earth to save somebody else, to show God to somebody else, to show glory in this world to a lost and dying world, right? That's when you get somebody that finally comes up that you've been talking to for years and just living your life. And they're like, I just watched you go through this most horrible event. How did you do that? Right. How are you sane? How are you not dead? Like, how, how are you still able to function? And then you get to witness to them like you've been doing forever. But it just seems like sometimes it, now the doors open and they're, they're receptive. And it's because of that test and that trial. They've been watching you. Right. The world watches us and the way we react to what we go through opens doors. So John chapter nine. It's the healing of the man born blind. So they passed by and saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now think on that for a second. Disciples are asking, he's been born since birth. So in the womb, the disciples are going, did he sin? Did, he, did this man do something that he would be born blind? Doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Well, did his parents do something? But listen to what Christ says. Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So why was this man born blind? Well, according to Jesus, so he could be healed. So, so he could be a miracle that is written down for us as here. So that's why I've, I've been saying all through this. It's not because of your sinfulness that you're going through something, right? It, God already has accounted for your sinfulness. He knows it, right? And it's been covered. We go through trials in life for various different reasons, and sometimes it's to prove God to others, right? Matt's been saying he's, He's a Christian for 10 years, and here comes a test and a trial, and he proves yet again that, Matt, how did you go through that? Well, it was God. Same thing has been since the last time and the time before that and the time before that. The only reason I go through anything is because of God. And they're like, oh, well, here's another example of maybe God is real, right? And it, it just keeps compounding and compounding and compounding. And you got a 10-year testimony. you got a 20-year, 30-year, 40-year testimony. When you get to Brother Gene, you're like, how did you go through your thing? that I, Last week, it, man, I thought for sure you was going to tuck, tail, and run. And you said, well, if it wouldn't be for God, I would have. And, oh, it's the same story. I'll be. 
So that's what Jesus says here. It wasn't because of the man's sin. It wasn't because of the parent's sin. It was simply to glorify God. In God's sovereignty, he was raised up to be born from birth so that one day the Messiah would come and change his life, right? And then others around it would see it, and it would be a test and a trial. It was not easy to be blind in that day. This man lived his whole lived a pretty hard life until one day he got his eyes, <laughs> right? And then what was his testimony? Man, I've had a horrible life until I met Christ. Christ made it better. Was well, your life hard now? Yeah, but it's better, <laughs> right? And his disciples go, oh, well, so it's a teaching moment for both the church, right? It's a, it's a showing moment. It's a show and tell moment for the world. The man is grown, right? It's, it's all around goodness, almost like Romans 8. Everything works to the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. So why was the man born blind? Well, so a miracle could happen. End of story. There was no higher meaning than that. It, it was to glorify God. When we face tests and trials in our life, we can trust that God is using them to reveal his glory and his power. Instead of focusing on our own circumstances, we can ask God to help us see how he is working and through us, to accomplish his purposes. So it doesn't make the test any harder or easier. It doesn't make the trial any harder or easier. But if we can step back from, from our surroundings, from our circumstances, and in thoughtful prayer say, Lord, are you trying to reveal yourself to somebody else? Always be seeking the reason for the test, the reason for the trial, because God doesn't just put us through tests for nothing. Nobody has ever tested and the score doesn't count. Right. Nobody has ever put through a trial, and at the end of that trial, it's a letter that said, good job, you know, it was for nothing. There's a purpose and a reason for everything that God does, everything that God does, whether that is to refine and sanctify you, or that is to show your weakness and his strength, or to use you as a witness for this lost and dying world. And sometimes, a lot of times, it's all three. God never, never, ever, listen, he never wastes an opportunity. Okay? God is big enough and sovereign enough and thinks higher than us and his ways are higher than ours that he can do all three of those things at once. All times, always. He never wastes an opportunity. If he's going to put you through a test, he's going to get every bit that he can out of that test, right? It's like when I remember, <laughs> I remember taking those tests uh, at school, and I, I remember this in American history. My American history teacher, he, he was a really good teacher, and he knew which students were excelling and which students weren't, okay? And whether it was good or bad, I don't know, but I started to realize that sometimes our tests some people's test had like an extra question at the bottom and it was called due for extra credit because he already knew they were going to do bad on test, right? So it would be, it would be like an essay kind of quite just, if you just do this, I'm going to give you five more points, right? Not everybody got that. None of us knew that until I, 
I was thinking about being an American history teacher. So towards my end of my high school career, I spent a lot of empty periods with him. And, and that was one of the things he revealed to me. He said, you, you learn your students, right? Not everybody needs extra credit. Some of them do, right? And that's just how he would, that's how he would do it. But he said, here's the thing, and it's the same thing in our spiritual life. It was up to the student to do it, right? He gave the opportunity in the middle of this test that you know you didn't study for, and here it is. And it would never be a question pertaining to the test, right? It would be like, what did we have for lunch three days ago? You know, just some, just free points. Just do it. That's where we fail a lot of times. We're in the middle of this test, and God says, here it is. And we go, nah, I got it. You don't do it, and then you fail, right? Mr. Davenport, he was, he was a, he's a good guy. So, to sum all this up, God tests believers. So why does God test believers? He tests us to refine our faith and to sanctify us, to reveal their character and their faithfulness, and to reveal his glory and power. That's why we go through what we go through. God does not test us in order to learn something about us. He already knows us. What does the Bible say? He, he's known us before our mother's womb, since the foundations of the world we were known. He, he knows us, right? I don't remember what it was like before birth. I don't remember what it was like the first couple years of my life. I really, I'd have to sit down and really think, I don't know what my earliest memory is. I'm just not built that way. Some people do. Some people know their earliest memories and all that stuff. I don't remember, but God knew me before that. Like before my earliest memory, God knew me, right? Before I even had a brain, God knew me. It's, it's crazy. So he's not doing it to learn something of us. He's doing it to reveal something in us, okay? The testing that God allows in our life uh, is seen as a way to sanctify us. That is to make them more holy and Christ-like, this is because trials and difficulties can reveal areas of weakness and sin in our life and give us the opportunity to turn to God for strength and grace. We see that in the life of Paul, right? Paul has this thorn in his flesh, and he prays to God three times. And God answers him, right? But Paul prays to God, hey, I have this issue, I have this trial, I have this thing in my life. I can't do anything with it. I'm going to bring it to you. And Paul gets an answer. And that answer is, I'm not going to do anything about it. But he still gets an answer, right? And we get a stronger Paul afterwards because he realizes he grows in understanding, right? In my weakness, God has promised that he will be made strong. And now we glean from that. In Paul's weakness, he said, I prayed three times. I prayed in faith. And God answered me and he said, my grace is sufficient. Well, now we can grow in that, right? So that's how this works. If you really think about it, pretty much everything in this book was somebody's test or trial. That's how we that's how we gain in it, right? If everybody had an okay day all the time, they probably wouldn't be in the Bible. The Bible is nothing but a bunch of failures with God's sovereignty. He's using all these failures to to make it to Christ and then to Christ's first coming and second coming and because Abraham wasn't a perfect man. Moses, David, Samson, right? It, none, none of these people were perfect. 
Why would you need them, right? <laughs> That's it. That's it. If we were able... Well, that's it. And that is, that's a common misconception that, um, you know, once you're saved, life's, life's good. No, that's when the fight starts, right? Because now you're fighting yourself. Amen. But let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the ability to to learn of you, oh God. Lord, I, I, I pray that this goes forth with everyone who is here, the ones who weren't able to be here, who may listen later, Lord, the next time we find ourselves in a, in a test, Lord, in a trial to, to remember why they, why they are there. We're not being picked on spiritually, God, but you're trying to pull out of us what's, what's in us, Lord. Get us to understand where we are, both spiritually, Lord, and physically. Lord, I ask that you move upon us, oh God, and help us, Lord, to endure to the end. Lord, for it's only through you and your spirit that any of us are able to, Lord, to be an effective witness in this area. Lord, I thank you. I honor you and I praise you. Amen. You've been listening to the Learning Curve podcast brought to you by Abundant Grace Church here in DeVille, Louisiana. Uh, we invite you to look at our webpage. It is www.abundantgracechurchonline.com. There you can find all the different ways that you can uh, be in contact with us. Thank you.